to ask how long I've got you for. Do you have an appointment this afternoon? Yeah, I, I do. So if we could do an hour, maybe that would be fine. You an know? hour is an hour is absolutely fine. It'll, this'll fly. Yeah. So the worst possible news for a St Johnston fan has tra- that doesn't involve your single-figure golfer manager is that Wotherspoon is injured for the season. Yeah, David Wotherspoon, who's probably our kind of main uh, creative playmaker. Uh, had one of these really kind of bizarre injuries. There was no one near him. He turned on uh, on the turf and uh, has done his uh, uh, ligaments and his knee ligaments. And, and so he's going to be out for maybe somewhere around eight months. Now, this is significant for three or four different reasons, Johnny, one of which is he's our natural kind of playmaker, if you like. Secondly, he's a local boy. He's from... Bridge of Ern, which is a suburb of Perth. He's a long-time season ticket holder uh, at St. Johnson, so he's kind of well-known and well-loved. But maybe the thing that's most kind of a setback for David himself is that he's a member of the current Canadian squad who are on the precipice of qualifying for the World Cup in Qatar. I mean, it's a very, very talented squad, and they're in the top of their section above the USA, above Mexico, and David's one of the squad members and he's played extensively. So that's looking a bit threatened now. I mean, it may well be that he gets back in time. We certainly hope so. But a huge, huge loss and a lovely guy as well. Yeah, and a double cup winner because he was part of the St Johnston team who have been written about in Edge Hodges' uh, book, Make Mine a Double, which that's I spoke right. to. A treble cup winner because he also featured in our 2014 cup winning team as well. So he's one of the very few players in Scotland that has three uh, national cups. You might get a couple maybe from Celtic, but that would be that would be it, you mm-hmm. know. So he, he's a really remarkable character in the history of the club. It is the the best thing that could have happened is that the Qatar World Cup is in November. So that's what he's gonna target. But yes, you're right, Canada with Alfonso Davis are going great guns, but does that not mean that he will be freed up to perhaps appear in off the ball for the next nine months? Or will that, that mean that, that it's two against one? No, that's good. That would be good news. I, I can certainly uh, talk him into that. It's a good idea. I'll put him down in our, on, our, on our wish list. It raises one of the club versus country debates that football fans love so much, Johnny, which is if Canada, if Scotland were to qualify and there's some way to go yet with to play Ukraine and maybe Austria or Wales, but if we were to qualify, what would I want more? Would I want David Witherspoon of St. Johnson to score against Scotland or not? You know, it's one of those kind of great pub uh, anecdotes because you always get people that are more pro their club than their country. Uh, and I'm one of those that sits on the fence. I love Scotland, but I love St. Johnston. I know Watford fans, I'm a Watford fan, but I know Watford fans who also grew up near Wembley Stadium, so they went to see England as well. And in recent tournaments, they felt so disenchanted um, that they didn't even care. And I don't know what it was. I think I spoke to, I think maybe Michael McHugh, and I asked him what the Scottish coverage of the Euros was like. But it certainly doesn't make English football look very good when we're hosting this jamboree and thousands of cokeheads uh, pop up and ruin the day for the non-cokeheads. So That's right. I'd, I'd, so, and I, I didn't listen to Off the Ball at the time, but this is something that you would have discussed in a talk 
Is it Talk Media? Is that the name of the show? Talk Media, yeah. But, but to be honest, Talk Media tends to work on how the media covers things. We did we did briefly talk about the Euros, but we certainly talked about it on Off the Ball extensively. You know, it has a, maybe what you would say a, a not universally well-loved attitude towards England. Yeah, famously. Although probably... Uh, a good um, knowledge of 1967 when Scotland were the world champions. Do you do you remember that period? Uh, I do, yes. Um, but you know the curious thing about it is I remember it for reasons would we, kind of baffle you now, Johnny, because it was one of the greatest ever Scotland teams in terms of kind of individual players that were on the pitch on the day. And I used to go to school, I'm from Perth, where St Johnston are from, mm-hmm. and my school uh, playing ground, they effectively where our playground was, was now a public park known as the North Inch, and it was just opposite our school. And that was where the various Scottish regiments would train for their kind of, you know, PE Maneuver. and their yeah. athletic football, things like that. And there's a very, very famous photograph of uh, two Perth regiments, the Black Watch and the Cameronian Highlanders, playing each other in an inter-regimental uh, tournament. And the two captains are shaking hands. And the two captains are Jim Baxter of the Black Watch and John White, Tottenham's John wow. White, the Cameronian Highlanders. And they're just on a public park. Two, two maybe of the most gifted players in modern Scottish uh, football history. And here they are playing in an inter-regimental tournament. So when I see either of those players, I see it through that prism. Oh, that's spectacular. And we, we must mention, I've had um, John's son in. He came in um, to talk about his dad and the, the search for yes. John White. Yeah. Rob. Yeah. Um, and Blackwatch, there was a play that is one of this century's greatest about that regiment. I didn't know anything about Blackwatch. Um, but I've, I've read stunning reviews of that play. You must have seen it, cultural, yeah, cultural no, man. It was incredible, yeah. Black Watch, the regiment, who had a regimental HQ in Perth, stretched out through Dundee, North Fife. That tended to be where it drew the, the recruit from. So when the Black Watch were in military action, uh, possibly one of the best examples would have been um, the... Uh, 51st Highland Division when they were defending St. Valerie around the time of Dunkirk and they were trapped by the Nazis in St. Valerie and thousands died or were imprisoned. It's quite a controversial uh, historical moment uh, in in the history of of the regiments. A lot of people to this day feel that they weren't given the kind of naval or air cover that they should have had and were pretty much sitting ducks. But my uncle, Jim, who um, emigrated to Canada when I was a very young boy, returned home for a visit. Uh, You know, this was probably in the kind of 1980s. And he was asking me about uh, an infamous St. Johnson supporter, an old guy who he'd known when he was growing up. And he was asking me if he was still alive. And I said, oh, uh, what do you know about The guy's name was Davy Freel. I said, what do you want to know about Davy? He said, oh, we were in a prisoner of war camp together when we were captured at St. Valerie. And my uncle Jimmy said, oh, there was about 20 St. Johnson fans in, in the prisoner of war camp. And we used to meet and talk about the old days and talk about a really good team in the run-up to 
the Second World War and they would reminisce about that that squad and that team. And, and it's a curious thing. I managed just to find out last week what prisoner of war camp Uncle Jimmy was actually in. And here's the irony. He was in the same prisoner of war camp as Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, the French intellectual who, who was in there as a captured French prisoner. Um, so I always have this uh, idea in my mind that my Uncle Jimmy was trying to recruit Jean-Paul Sartre to become uh, the French president of the St. Johnston Supporters Club. Oh, that's magnificent. Some would say hell is other St. Johnston fans. Exactly. Yeah. You've got it in one. Uh, you've got it in one. The, the difficulty is, so I, I spoke to Jonathan Wilson, the well-loved football writer, for about four hours. Time only precludes us because you've got stuff to do. Is there, yeah. I was thinking how best to frame it. And you know, at the back of the Sunday Times, you've got the life in the day. You have someone running through your typical day. Do yeah. you have one of those? I don't really have a typical day, but I have um, days that kind of recur because my um, wee boy Jack, he goes to a primary school right next to Celtic's ground. So I take him to school every morning and then I have breakfast in a famous Italian cafe in Glasgow and then I get on with my day. Now my day consists either of uh, periods of writing or uh, doing uh, radio shows or podcasts uh, and of course negotiating the day depending on what the uh, stringer of, yeah. of matches are. We've currently got quite a fixtures backlog. I think we've got about nine games up until uh, the end of the year. So it's it's kind of like two uh, two a week. So trying to navigate that with my mates, who's picking up who, where are we going to go, are we going to drink before we go, are we going for a meal, are we going to make a night of it? That's kind of what uh, the arrangements are like. But I've got a, a very busy life and thankfully... Um, it's been three of the worst kinds of illnesses uh, during um, mm. COVID. I've had uh, bronchitis, but I've never been laid low by COVID itself. So I've been able to work all the way through. Yeah, and, and fingers crossed you won't be. So I gather we're talking on the 14th. This goes out on the 17th. Tomorrow night, Saints go to Ibrox, which I've never yes. been inside. We drove past it because my brother had a 30th birthday party and we, we drove past I drove through, was it Govan? So I, I wish you the best. I don't know how you're going to do it without Wotherspoon, but it's a big challenge for the gaffer. It is, and, and you know, it, it's a very strange thing is that two, two factors that may play to our advantage. Number one, we're a significantly better side away from home because we play in a very compact, organised central defence and play on the break, uh, and that may be to our advantage. And, and secondly, we don't have a really bad track record uh, at Ibrox, uh, and we tend to play better against bigger teams than against teams that we should be getting points in. One of those little kind of, um, you know, idiosyncrasies. But they are actually a, an extremely good team, and they're on a kind of fine run of form just now. So the bookies will certainly have uh, Rangers as the standout uh, favourites for the game. I... Even a one-one draw would be enough. Indeed. I read that Man City were paying Van Bronckhorst as a kind of exclusivity fee, so that if Guardiola went, he was first choice. I don't know if that still holds now that Van Bronckhorst, who was at Barcelona for a long time, uh, and indeed yeah, Rangers. I guess, I guess it probably hinges on what contractual clauses are in his um, current Rangers uh, clause. 
there, t- there tends to be within the Scottish clubs a clause that allows them to go to the English Championship or the uh, Premiership or to leagues abroad should they wish. In other words, that can be a kind of you know a contractual deal breaker. I don't know if that's in Van Bronckhorst's uh, uh, contract or not. Hey, I, um, I could guarantee you one thing: it was in Brendan Rodgers's. You better believe it. You better believe it. <laughs> but the, the other thing about it, Johnny, about that is that we're now getting to an economic um, period of time within our um, footballing history where they just simply see, you know, let's say Van Bronckhurst was on a three-year deal. Manchester City would just pay the three years up, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So there isn't any there isn't any kind of financial restraint really on them. I mean, we, we, we had an odd situation uh, last week. Oh, there's the notification pinged on again. My apologies. Um I might right. leave them in just to note how popular you are. Uh, a lot of these are coming from updates from the Daily Record football page, so switch those off and that <laughs> might... Uh, <laughs> Only last week, uh, Preston showed an interest in St. Johnson's Callum Davidson. He's on a four-year deal, mm. and Preston just simply said, paying out his contract will be no problem. You know, So there was no kind of hang about, oh, we'll try and negotiate, it was just... We'll put the cash on the table and press Man City, you know. There's lots of good golf clubs in Lancashire. It was great talking yeah. to to Ed um, yeah. and seeing what makes Callum tick because he's done phenomenally well with St. Johnston. Yeah, absolutely. And just so that you want to, to link the two stories together, uh, when Callum uh, came into St. Johnston's first team uh, as a left wing back, you know, he, he was a very quick developer. I mean, he's a fantastic all-round sportsman. And he got his big deal to Blackburn Rovers. I think 1.6 million yeah. at the time it was. And um, at the time, Blackburn had a very, very, very good squad of players. One of whom was another Scot called uh, Billy McKinley. Badger McKinley, his name was. And he was aware of uh, Callum's expertise on the golf course. And so what he went, he went right round the Blackburn dressing room and lured a whole group of extremely well-remunerated remunerated international players <laughs> into playing him and Callum Davidson. Yeah. And the way that he supposedly described it is, we've got this Highlander down from up, let's take his wages off him. So they all signed up for this golf game, which um, Badger McKinley cleaned up. And and mm. Callum won the won the, the game. I mean, he, he, he ever since he was a child, he's been a multiply talented star across a whole range of different sports. Um, I know that uh, he's a, he's a neighbour of Judy Murray, uh, Andy Murray's mother, and she once said to me that if she could have kept Callum away from golf and football, she could have made him, you know, a, a really really high powered professional tennis player. He's, gifted at tennis as well yeah yeah. But th- yeah that's an amazing story you um you were in conversation with danny gray for nutmeg and i don't want to reduplicate it too much but you tell a great story about how you lost your glasses watching uh st johnston beat hamburg and yeah. uh, which was a great yeah. great story worth a listen to you 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 say how football is social history so much of football is is tied up and imbued in social history and uh this is this marks your your career. You are. A, would you say you're rather than kind of a cultural maven? You're actually a social historian because you are yeah, Doctor Cosgrove. I'm after fascinated, all, I'm fascinated by social history. All of my books on the history of soul music are really 
ultimately books about social history rather than music journalism. And, and I certainly find the stories um, of St. John's, I was telling you earlier there about the, uh, the Black Watch and about the uh, prisoners of war that supported St. Johnson. I find that much, much more fascinating than the kind of statue history of football where people say, oh yeah, we beat them 2-1 and scored in the last minute. I, I, I don't tend to remember a great deal of that kind of statistical detail, but I love the kind of sweep, the big sweep of, of social history. It, it can be hugely important for a football club because, you know, if you're a, a club the size of Perth, you know, it's only 40,000, 50,000 people. Uh, if that, and so therefore success tends to go in cycles, and the expectation is that you know you may go down a division and come back again. But if you can pin it to events in a wider world, you can tell for me anyway uh, a much bigger story. So to give you a, a perspective, our 38 and 39th team just prior to the outbreak of war was probably one of the top teams in Scotland. I think we were number two or three in the league at the time. And we had a great, great team. Uh, of course, many of them went off to war. And by the time they returned, you know, they were five years older or they were no longer playing football. Uh, but one of them, a, a guy called Bobby Davidson, went to Arsenal. And he, at the time that he was sold to Arsenal, he was the most expensive player in the world. You know, he was your Cristiano Ronaldo or whoever it would be. And... Um, Bobby Davidson going down to Arsenal um, and being part of what was then the kind of maybe one of the greatest Arsenal teams of all time. Mm -hmm. Then the war broke out. He was the replacement for Alec James. Uh, and the war broke out and he spent five years in military service and returned, I think, to sign for Coventry City. So in a way, I'm interested in the five lost years of Scotland's most expensive player ever. That interests me much more than... You know, did we get a, a goalless draw we at Cowden Beath in the 1960s, you know? There's so much of football history and it's difficult with the access of current pros to think that you're going to get any good football literature anymore. We are in the football library uh, and I'm delighted to have Dr Stuart Cosgrove in here because we've got to put on the shelves losers, boozers and substance abusers. Uh, this is Hamden, Hamden Babylon, which is still in print, I think. But it's very difficult uh, to come up with any boozers and substance abusers in the last 20 years of Scottish football, from what I can tell, because of the well, elite professional... Only last night, Charlie Adam, the captain of Dundee, of drove his car into a tree whilst drunk driving. So it's not so hard, but they're, they're, they're fewer and far between than yeah. they used to be in the 60s and 70s. I'll grant you that. Only to get Dundee today. Charlie Adams, part of the media, one of many Scottish and Irish, indeed, voices. And you have several footballers in uh, on Off the Ball, which is, just in case no one knows about it, I don't know why they wouldn't, 12 till 2, Saturday and Sunday, paper reviews, uh, song choices. And um, what I think Andy Bolland told me is that you, you just get thrown to. And this was, I was listening to the one last week, you just threw to the guest. You, you faded yeah. him up and he's supposed to... He's just there. Yeah. It's very much kind of conversation between obsessive fans. Uh, and the thing that's maybe set it apart is that the two hosts, myself and Tam Cowan, my friend, neither of us support Celtic or Rangers. So we're free to be able to, you know, uh, play with all of the kind of conceits that go alongside that. 
uh, and we're able also to have a laugh um, at the uh, rest of Scottish football and the way it's covered. The show's subtitle is Petty and Ill-Informed, yep. and we gave, it, we gave it that subtitle because there's a kind of tendency within Scottish mainstream media for the top football journalists to claim that they're the most influential writer in Scotland, that they're in the know, that they're the player, that they're the writer that the players and the managers talk to first. It's all pompous kind of self-aggrandizing rubbish. And we had one this week where um, uh, Keith Jackson, who's a senior writer at the Daily Record, had been having a go at a, a kind of dispute about uh, COVID regulations and how um, how they would deal with an outbreak on a on, on a coach like say Aberdeen travelling to Motherwell if there was a COVID outbreak who would have to isolate them the coach and it was a, a, a kind of fairly kind of serious issue where the national health director of Scotland a guy called Jason Leach was on the show talking to us and because he'd done our show uh, this writer gets all hot under the collar. <laughs> Calling out, you know, you, you you just laugh at it. So uh, we've been having a wee pop at him uh, all, all of this week, and the irony of the situation is his subtitle is, you know, the most influential sports writer in Scotland. And yeah, most people get their news through the web now, don't yeah. they? Uh, yeah, and congratulations, by the way, because I don't know over Christmas or at the beginning of next year, but Talk Media are going to hit one hundred episodes. You do it with Professor. Eamon O'Neill, doctor and a professor, walk into a recording booth. Uh, it's how, how the media works and who works the media. And as someone who in recent weeks has thought, well, the journalists are clearly in sync with English politicians, Scottish politicians for once, um, behaving themselves. But the Scottish media is fascinating. When I lived up there, because I studied in Edinburgh, this was the time when the Romanovs were in charge at Hearts. And that was the main story. For years, Stephen Presley walking out. And whenever I watch Premier League football, it was like watching it in a foreign country because the press yeah. is so, of course, Scots focused. Um, yeah. So, so I'm, and Scotland being a pop, was it five million people? A lot of people. Five million, yeah. 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 Does it bother you? Does it concern you? You're one of the most cherished media operators in Scotland, or don't you really care for that? Uh, I don't really care too much. I, the only thing I would say about that is, is that, you know, you, we've got huge, huge followership, but in a world in which um, the media, and particularly through social media, Johnny, everything's so kind of binary and argumentative, um, you you tend to kind of get people that just simply dislike you. So, uh, you know, I'll get get trolled by uh, Dundee fans who for a brief period of, I think, about a month uh, they've been above St. Johnson in the league, you know, having won nothing. They haven't won a cup in 120 years, and they patronise you because they're two points above you in the league, you know. Uh, so I get a wee bit of stick from Dundee fans, and I get a bit of stick also from uh, hardcore uh, unionists because uh, I'm a supporter of the independence movement. So you get things like that, but by and large, I would say it's very, very kind of supportive. We've got great, great um, audiences, and they tend to take the show in the spirit in which it's intended. You yeah. know, here, here. And I remember Mum went out with someone from Mark Hinch, and he was down at uh, Mum's listening to this show, and I'd never heard of it. And obviously, all the references I didn't get, but just the warmth. And the, the broadcasting skill of yourself and Tam 
it's a wonderful show. And I, I listened to a podcast, I think, in uh, when I was researching to talk to Andy, who um, yeah. has written his book about Scottish football. I think you're on the cover. You 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 gave a superlative for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Andy used to also be a sketch writer on Off the Ball as well, so there is a connection between us, you know. That's right. Have you read his new book that's coming out next year about the European football 100 objects? I, I haven't yet, but um, it's with the publishers now. I don't know which what state it's in, but I'll certainly read it as soon as I can, you know. Whereas you have a book that we'll talk about in the second half, but we'll close the first half by, I was going to ask, the Indie Ref 2 question mark, but no, that this is not the time or place for a two-minute argument. I just wanted to praise the fact that you had Dorothy Byrne uh, on the yeah. Talk Media podcast, and, and it's handy when you have friends in high places. Um, yeah. She was the one who gave that lecture a couple of years ago at Edinburgh. Yeah. Comes, it came across really, really sagely. Do you hope we see Scottish football on Channel 4? in 10 years? Well, you know, I think Scottish football, there's a strange you should ask that because this morning there's been uh, the headlines of a report leaked. This was a report uh, overseen by uh, Deloitte, mm-hmm. but it's actually five clubs. Uh, they're Aberdeen, Dundee United, Hearts, Hibs, and I think Motherwell are the other one, but certainly five clubs who've asked Deloitte to look into the, if you like, the underpricing of Scottish football in terms of the, the the media. And it's quite substantially underpriced. And the report comes out saying that there's a further 20% of value, uh, even within the context of our Sky deal. And what that means really is that you could sell another package of games beneath the uh, 40-odd games that Sky secure, whether you did that through Facebook Live or through YouTube or through... BBC Scotland, um, it would mean that more games would be on the telly and more revenue would come to the clubs. Currently, um, I think there's a lot of Scottish football on the TV, albeit that some of them are in uh, Scottish-only channels, so uh, BBC Scotland and our Galaxy, BBC Alpa, which covers the championship games and and women's football. And they've actually all been extremely well received. And because it's a popular game in Scotland, guess what? The the media bosses like the audiences that they're getting for what some people in England would consider to be, you know, what is it they say in England? Oh, a pub league, my nan could play it. They always say their nan could play it until one of their players comes up and he can't play it. So <laughs> these nans must be very, very talented. Yeah they, yeah, they came through all the top academies, all these nans. The yeah, nan academy, yeah, yeah. yeah. 